0: So I take this occasion It's a special occasion on this Paddy Mokra day to uh, Sangha meeting here at Wat at the funeral and the cremation of uh, Prat Panyo, And so this is uh, a very impressive Another very impressive funeral and cremation. I want to uh, give my uh, appreciation to Tanajan Kebli and Sri Panyo, and of course Ajahn, Tanajan Jayasaro and uh, Tanajan Yanatamo <laughs> came as soon as they could and helped uh, do this cremation ceremony. And it's only been what, three or four days since the death of Thanjoti but I thought it was—I uh, appreciate the fact that it, it it was well done and and um, something that we could all participate in because we we knew him, and when when a monk dies like that, it does affect us and as well as the uh, immediate relatives, friends, and so forth. So it's always, you know, important to reflect on death. as one of our subjects of contemplation because it's, we're all going to die. And many of us have experienced the death of parents, teachers, loved ones, pets, and so forth, and so had to experience the loss Uh, of a life of somebody or something that was close to us. And so this is like a reflection on the way it is that this is what this realm is about, birth and death. It's a birth and death realm and so it's not a realm for happiness and security and safety and pleasure and excitement as if these these kind of conditions could last for any length of time. Inevitably, everything that arises ceases. So this is a, is a continuous reflection throughout one's lifetime uh, how the changing conditions, uh, both uh, the subtle mental ones, emotional ones, and all that we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, think and feel uh, is in this... Inexorable process of change. And that's why in the Vipassana practice it's always emphasis on anicca, impermanence, because there is a kind of ability we have as human beings to fool ourselves in thinking that we can really depend on something or some condition, some situation, some teacher, some method, some religion, whatever, that will give us a sense of security or well-being or safety when uh, actually uh, all conditioned phenomena is, its very nature is change. Mm. And even though you've heard this over and over again it needs to be reflected upon again and again because we do, We, we, we create ourselves we create the world we live in and each one of you might think we share the same uh, world, but we don't. In other words, we all live in our own world, our own sense of, our own memories, our own emotional tendencies, our karma is like this. And so it, you know, we even though we share maybe something in common being Buddhist monks in this tradition, and we have a, a conventional form uh, that unifies us in one respect, but individually we all have to live and find out through our own awareness of our own the world, the the delusions, the the fears, the desires that we we inevitably experience uh, in our mind. And so a sense of conformity. An external appearance is uh, what the Buddha encouraged, the shaven head, the robe, this simp- simplicity to take away, or not to emphasize individuality, uh, or caste, or class, or race, or nationality, or anything, it's mostly to diminish these identities, these uh, perceptions that we have about ourselves and each other. But still, the tendency, the habit tendency is always to to personify every monk here. This is, I like this monk, I don't like that one. This is a good monk, this isn't a very good one, this is junior, senior. And on and on like that. We uh, then we have different nationalities and different ages and on and on in this way. that we do create each other. Like Panyo now is what is he? You know, is a it's a memory at this moment. We saw the the ending, uh, the actual burning of his body. We can smell it now, the the, the burnt body of Tan Panyo. Then how we, even though I can point this out, how each one of us is experiencing this. Particular situation at this moment. It only you know what you're feeling or thinking or at this moment to, in regard to the external conditions. This is a, a very uh, this is a very ancient tradition, uh, traditional form, and, and over the years is uh, in, in my monastic life. The power of a tradition has has really uh, registered with me because at first uh, uh, you know it one just called it the Thai forest tradition or the word tradition really didn't mean much other than it's something that's carried on, but the value, the importance, uh, how to use tradition, one learns through the actual usage and through the reflection on it, not to attach and form uh, strong views, opinions about any tradition. But the Buddha did establish this, the Dhamma, the Vinaya, in a way not to be grasped as kind of something to, to hold on to. But you notice the whole structure of Dhamma teaching in the Sutta is about reflecting on the way things are. It's about using our human ability to observe. To witness, uh, to watch, uh, and, and not, but it's not to, it's not a, to criticize. With the thinking mind, your condition, thinking mind, your intellect is a critical function. So it's used to, to compare one thing with another, with one condition with another, with one idea with another. But in, uh, Buddhist meditation, the point is to develop. They call sati sampatanya or mindfulness and awareness and, and, and using wisdom, developing, may, allowing the mind to, to contact wisdom, to let wisdom inform us uh, in a way that we can't from our own personal, uh, language, thought patterns, uh, views, opinions, cultural identities. It's uh, the learning to give up everything. It's a total relinquishment that is being encouraged in this life. The whole life of a Samana is about relinquishing, letting go, rather than about attaining and achieving and becoming. Mm-hmm. And yet we can interpret Buddhist teachings in terms of attainment, achievement, becoming, uh, success and failure, good meditation, bad meditation, Uh, and then we have different ideas about different forms of Buddhism, which is the best, which is the pure. And these are the opinions, the views, the critical mind that compares one thing with another. It's important to emphasize that the the thinking mind is is for criticizing, for comparing. This is bigger, smaller, important, unimportant, true and false, good and bad. And the only way we can get out of that thinking, dualistic thinking habit is through sati-sampatanya, or, uh, I often time refer to as intuitive awareness, ability to observe, to watch, and to reflect on the way things are, not, not from ideas of how we would like things to be, but from the way it is at this very moment. And, of course, this reflection of whatever you're experiencing in this moment, feeling, thinking, uh, is like this. It's the way it is. It's not about what should or shouldn't be, but it's a recognition that at this moment so much of our feelings, emotional experiences, there's no words. That we can actually use to accurately describe exactly how one feels in the moment. But we, with, when we attach to words, to definitions, to to ideas, then we we bind ourselves to this dualistic function that has its purpose, but as it can never liberate us from ignorance or suffering. And so this this, uh, the Buddha emphasized the Four Noble Truths. This was his Bhattomatesana, his first uh, desana, his first teaching after uh, his enlightenment. And so this is why suffering, or dukkha, is something easy to observe. It's not a kind of highly esoteric, uh, subtle kind of suffering that we need to reflect on. It's just uh, the ordinary, like the a stinging aunt on on your arm, or whatever you know, whatever too hot, or uh, you know tired, or restless, or whatever. This ability to observe, it's like this, is the way it is. Conditioned phenomena, you know, whatever you're experiencing through that, through the through the consciousness in the conditioning conditioned realm is. Can only be the way it is at this moment. Whether you, you know, want it to be or not, isn't the issue. It's the way it is. And of course, when we reflect in this way, the way it is, then we're more in touch, more in tune with the changingness, the imnicha of conditioned phenomena. So the like the Pali of this this word Ramana uh, which uh, in Thai. Uh, They take the word aramana, arom. It's the, the mental state, the object that we can be aware of in the present moment. And all conditions are impermanent. Aramana then applies to what can be observed in this present moment from this position of pure witnessing, observing, not from taking a particular position or attitude or critical uh, view about what we're experiencing but learning to trust this intuitive sense of observing. And so this uh, one thing that attracted me when I met Cha was the emphasis on this mantra Puto because uh, I'd practiced one year as a samanera in Nongkai on my own just just with uh, reading Nanati Loka's Book, uh, the word of the Buddha, which is about the four noble truths, and so then you get. I got to the point of the samanera where I was really, you know, aware of impermanence and not self, but there was still this. this still, I had not. It did not had really sunk in about the knowing. You know, it was like the, this. Uh, what is it that knows all this? And of course, when you're trying to figure that out with concepts, with words, uh, is, you know, say, well, it can not uh, be someoneera sumato or anything like that. But then, what else is it that that it knows? If it's not me uh, as this this person, these identities of self as a summonera, as a, a a new name sumato, and and all the rest of the condition. Uh, condition in my mind that I would tend to to um, you know it, that would influence my experience in the present so then these words like Buddha Dhamma Sangha Bhutto Tamo Sangho you know, over the years these words have uh, you know they can be just kind of ceremonial Pali chants and and we can, uh, you know, chant them and and uh, you know it's the, our tradition and see it in just this external form uh, and as a part of you know do we really need Buddha Dhammasanga or can we just be mindful without Buddhism at all? Can we do we really need the Vinaya? Can we just be mindful without all these restraining precepts and and that that's part of a tradition? Uh, many of us have asked ourselves, oh, is this really necessary?" And then various teachers and methods of meditation do, uh, you know, imply that you, know, you don't really need uh, any of these conventions because you're letting go of all conditioned phenomena, all conventions. And so, what's the point of of becoming a bhikkhu, a monk, because you're entering right into a very A powerful, very uh, kind of strict and and and, uh, convention that limits what we can actually do and say. So then, of course, the doubt, the thinking: Do we really need uh, all this? Can't we just do it just through being mindful? And of course. When I asked Lung this years ago, he said, true but not right, right but not true. It's a kind of conundrum or koa, which is, uh, you know, because my uh, limited way of thinking was, if it's true, it has to be right. And if it's right, it has to be true. It, was, it had, you know, I didn't really differentiate between right and true. And Lung Pa Chá said, they're my jing, jing, they're my tu. Interesting one because I was expecting them to give me the party line. You have to have you now You have to keep it like this. You have to do it this way, and and a kind of strong, uh, uh, you know, exposition and force on the things that you have to have in order to to really practice properly. I was expecting a sermon uh, and a, and, a, and, a, and a and expecting a kind of teaching about this is what you have to have and you can't do it any other way. But Po Cha wouldn't teach like that. He brought it into a reflective style. True but not right, right but not true. Well, that takes your thinking mind into a different place, isn't it? It's, it's uh, At least it did with me. I don't know about anyone else. And when somebody of the caliber of Lungpho Cha says, says such a thing, it's, you're not just going to dismiss it. I mean, you take it quite, you know, I, everything he said, I was taken quite seriously, because I, 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 I kind of felt he would never say anything, just flippant or, uh, you know, of, of no value, that this was an important reflection he was giving me. And over the years of living this life, you know, the... the um, um, you know, like today, this moka on, on this moon night, uh, the, the funeral, the cremation of Tanjotipanya and, and the, the power of this traditional form as it's kept in this way is something that, uh, we learn how to use not to identify and cling to, but to, to reflect from. So that the limitation that we experience through Vinaya is not some kind of, uh, ascetic practice to, to bind us to conditions and moral precepts, uh, in order to, to make us conform. It can be that. We can use it in the, in that way. Or else we, we ask ourselves, how can we use this form for awareness? And this is, you know, this is how how to use the Vinaya as we've learned it through this Thai forest tradition, Lumpur Sometimes we get into incredible arguments and views about Vinaya, and get very angry and upset when somebody disagrees. So that's, and of course the Kosambi bhikkhus and the story (laughs) in the scripture about uh, you know opinionated monks about rules and what's right and wrong but the important thing is to observe this to observe to be the aware that which is aware when you're holding a strong view uh, uh, and that you feel is right and you feel somebody else is wrong uh, one can one can observe that as a mental state I can anyway I'm certainly had my uh, life full of strong views and opinions to observe them. And so this, this is like Bhutol, Tamo, Sanko, the, the awakened consciousness, awareness of Dhamma or the way it is. Or another translation I like, and for Dhamma is reality. Is awakening to reality, to the real. When you want to uh, not use the Pali words, they "What? Well, how would you describe uh, Buddhist teaching?" It's it's an uh, invitation to awake to reality. And it's interesting, having lived in in Europe for so many years, people tend to think we don't live in the real world. I, I don't know how many times people have. Said, that you in the monastery don't live in the real world and the real world is in London with a mortgage and a wife and two and a half children and a job you don't like and not facing the facts of life the real world is you know for some people is like that it's about all the the being caught in their own limitations without any way out any way to look at them and view them but just stuck into a particular conditioned world view that that they've aligned themselves with and uh, then the uh, the, uh, the teaching of the Buddha is to awaken us to that it's not to pass judgment on other people's lives or lay life or or modern society or tradition, but to awaken us to this natural state, it's what they call tamachad, it isn't a created kind of highly uh, subtle and advanced state of consciousness, it's suddenly letting go of thinking, letting go of our views and opinions. When we really develop this letting go of conditioned phenomena. When when we have moments where we let go, where there's nothing left, but there's still awareness. Consciousness still operates. And then there's discernment. There's a punya can inform us of noting non-attachment. Noting attachment is like this, non-attachment is like this. It's not saying non-attachment is better than (laughs) attachment because then you're back into the same delusion. But discerning self and non-self, when do you become a personality? Or do you assume you're the same person all the time when you're asleep, when you're awake, when you're feeling well, healthy, vigorous, when you're feeling sick, Nauseous when you're young or old, when life is going well, when life is falling apart. Uh, are you, is it the same person that, that you can observe? Or is, does it change according to conditions? And so investigating the atta duaton, or the self view, or sakaya ditti, it's a, that which is aware, remember, this is awakening to the self so that you can observe it rather than operate from some idea about not having any self because even if you believe that there isn't any self it's still an attachment to a belief to a perception or how you interpret Buddhism so it's not about believing in no self but recognizing and this takes, of course, this sati sampachanya a kind of apprehension, uh, of the, of this moment, uh, for me, for me to become a person, I have to start thinking again. I have to start thinking, I'm Ajahn Sameto and I'm an American and, and, all like that. Then, then, if I have no, no understanding of that is merely convention, it's just a samut what they call Samut I tend to operate from the sense of a, of a self limited to my name, my experience, my memories, my character tendencies, my emotional habits. Can't help it. If I buy into that perception without observing, then I create this world that is unique to me as a person, Is the Ajahn Samato type world. It's going to be different from your world than the world that you create out of the self. But that which is aware of self, that is awareness or puto aware of Dhamma, of the way things are. Dhamma then is the reality or the way it is. It's Tamachan. it's the, It's nature. It's not, we don't create Dhamma. We don't, and it's not something that, that we have any Say about, it's just learning to recognize Dhamma the way it is at this moment. And so each one of us has to learn to trust ourselves more to observe. Not to, and this observing is, and I reiterate, not a critical saying that anything you're feeling at this moment is good or bad, right or wrong, but it is the way it is. Now this, this kind of practice, the reflection, uh, this is what I've loved about this life, is, is this, uh, this encouragement to do this, because there isn't much encouragement uh, in as far as my experience in what they call, quote, the real world, unquote, is. You know, my experience as a lay person was very much uh, about the ego of, promoting myself and comparing myself with others and and uh, trying to prove myself get somewhere fears about you know feeling not as good as somebody else or feeling jealous or competitive and obsessed with various views and ideas that was the world that I created before I knew how to reflect on it and it was a, a you know a world that always led to some form of suffering, unhappiness, worry, anxiety, despair, As as you know with no understanding of how to to get out of it how to free oneself from this. It's so easy to blame circumstances you know we're looking for causes external causes for one's misery or maybe we just blame ourselves we're not good enough we we have it, you know, we're, we're born to suffer and, and, and where some people are born to be successful and happy or, and it wasn't that I wasn't successful, but even worldly success was some form of suffering because the ego was fed on being successful and when you weren't then you, you felt really terrible when you failed at something or, or somebody else was, did it better than you did. And, and so there seemed to be no end to this form of, this, this illusion of a self. One's whole world uh, generates from this delusion of a self. And so then this uh, Bhutto observed, what is the self? What is Sakyaditi? If it's the first fetter, isn't it? It's one, you know, the first one to deal with before we can get any perspective on Dhamma. If we interpret Dhamma always from the self, and that happens a lot, you know, we my view of the Dhamma, my view of the Vinaya, my view of the Buddhist teaching and so forth, can come from, uh, you know, generate from the self view. When I read the Majjima Nikaya as a lay person, you know, I interpreted it from a mind that was, uh, you know, brought up in a very Christian family, an American middle-class Christian conditioned view of life. Uh, influenced how I tended to read the Pali words or the translation of the Majima Nikaya because I hadn't really practiced yet to understand it. I, tried, I did my best to try to interpret it according to uh, my own way of, of seeing or try, uh, uh, the attempts to understand it through the self. Now, in the monastic life, the point is not to bind yourself to monastic form out of self view. It's not, you know, I'm senior to you or I'm you know, I'm I I meditate longer than you do. The way we can we can create a self out of monastic tradition is possible. So important thing is not to to create yourself into some kind of monk uh, or compare yourself with other monks, but to observe. That's what monasteries are really. What their use is, they give us, they take us out of that, that rat race of modern life, the real world, and give us an opportunity to observe and reflect. And not not to condemn the world or, or deny it uh, in any way, but to recognize. Lung Po Chao was always saying, the end of the world, and he point to his heart, and he says, here, the end of the world is here. <laughs> I remember in England that would really upset some people because the, 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 these perceptions of end of the world, Armageddon—it's uh, you know everything's going to—you know—it's part of our cultural view to see the world as external, as the planet Earth, as, uh, as New York and London and Bangkok and so forth—the end of. London and the Bangkok and so this is this what he means or How do we translate world so that it has a practical value? It's not just some absurdity or taken for granted that the real world is is what everybody thinks it is. And so then we start observing the world I create the sense of myself my fear, fears that arise and uh, anger, uh, sexual desire, confusion, worry, uh, restlessness, sleepiness, woolly, you know, the five fetters, the, the five kilesas, uh, and so forth that, that we have. These are convenient ways of collecting ourselves around what we're feeling to ob- observe. Dosa, anger, aversion is like this. Uh, uh, lust and greed is like this. Uh, moha, and, uh, doubt and worry, anxiety, sleepiness, restlessness—all these kind of irritating, frustrating problems that we experience when we're not either angry or aroused sexually. Then we tend to sink into worry anxiety, boredom, sleepiness, restlessness. So in meditation then, uh, like vipassanas, looking into the way things are. And the way things are then are clearly pointed out, we're not trying to, to evaluate their worth, but recognize the common characteristics of all phenomena as impermanence, uh, unsatisfactoriness and non-self so in my own ex- experiment with these with this is that I became very much aware that for me to become a person I have to really start thinking I have to think I just a pronoun English pronoun I What does that do? When you, you just think to yourself, I, uh, isolate I and just think I. And it has no, you haven't come to any conclusion yet, but it's a statement of presence, isn't it? It's a statement of being, which is fair enough. It's not personal yet. It's not like a personality comes from I. But then I, I add to it. I am Ajahn Sumedho, then this I becomes a person. And then you get into the pronouns like me and mine, and these these give this sense of uh, a strong personal attachment or possessiveness, my thoughts, my possessions, my view, these are mine, what I like, what I think, what I don't like, what I think is wrong, what I feel isn't right, these are all created with words, with thoughts. And so the thinking process, it, remember that you don't start thinking when you're born. A baby born to English-speaking parents doesn't come out and say, I am a little white baby born to a middle-class family in the United States. <laughs> I mean if that comes later, maybe. But then this, uh, this I, just contemplate. Uh, you know, in your own language, because some of you, you know, are conditioned with different with different language. But in terms of English, I, me, and mine. These are what we call, in gram- grammatical terms, pronouns. So just to point out that the, the, the singular I uh, can be a fair enough statement of presence. and doesn't, it isn't, it isn't saying anything other than announcing one's presence. And then am, a verb follows in grammatical. This is how you learn languages through, through that sequence of nouns, pronouns, verbs, adjectives, adverbs. So language is a condition that we acquire after birth. Uh, when a baby is born, it's natural form. It's body is a natural form. It's not created through through uh, ignorance or self or beautiful. You know, it's called, it's a, just a form in nature like anything else, other forms that that arise in nature. The, the body is this. The consciousness that, that the, the baby experiences is not, uh, a, a Thai consciousness or a, a, Western consciousness. It's not male or female. Its consciousness is natural, nature, Bindhamacha. So, so recognize that, that the Rupa and Vijnana are natural condition. Maidana, then also, we feel, you know, because it's a sensitive form born in the sense realm. Uh, it was born and it's born with senses. It's a conscious form that uh, sees, hears, smells, tastes, touch, and then we learn to think in terms of using language and memory and learning acquired knowledge and views, cultural conditioning, social assumptions, social attitudes uh, of, of our particular family and society. But I'm pointing to what is natural first, that isn't Thai, is not English, is not Western, not Eastern. Vedana then is, you know, the, the experience that we have to feel pleasure, painful, and neutral Vedana, just through the senses and uh, through consciousness, through the senses. And then we're conditioned through sannyasankara, culturally primed condition with language, with the prejudices, views, opinions, attitudes, assumptions of our mother, our father, our social background and so forth. So that's why, when we when we're mindful, we're not we're not operating from the conditioned realm. We're not operating from uh, the conditioning we get through culture, through through social conditioning. We're not. It's not a. Asian ability or or uh, European—it's it's, it's a natural ability that the Buddha emphasized, and that the Buddha itself—the word Buddha means awakened consciousness in a human individual, awakened to reality—and then what we awaken to is the uh, changing conditions that we have to experience. the the Vichikeja, the first three fetters, or Sanyojanas, Sanyotam. These are the, the conditioning we get after we're born, uh, after we already have a body, and co- uh, a consciousness and a body, then it's conditioned. <clears throat> it has its own karma, But then, also, it's influenced by the feelings, attitudes, biases, cultural attitudes, social assumptions and that of our parents and peers, family and tribe and social group and generation, by our gender, you know, what we identify with the gender of the body. So you notice the wars, the problems are all around attachment to these conditions, these identities, views and opinions, uh, prejudices and biases that we acquire. And and so it's contemplated we're aware. Mindfulness puts us back into that infantile state before we start thinking. But a baby, you know, has its own wisdom to survive you know so it operates from instinctual intelligence uh, and knows when it's hungry when it's tired and so forth but now we're we're adult men and so we have a whole baggage a whole pack on our back of conditioned attitudes and phenomena that influence how we see ourselves in the world around us so in the Monastic life, such as we're living it here at Nanata, recognize it, it's not, uh, it's not for conditioning, to just create a new identity, uh, from the self-position. But it, it gives us a, it's a vehicle for reflection, for observing. And witnessing, knowing Dhamma, when all condition the Dhamma of impermanence all conditions are impermanent and then that's a way of reflecting to break down the attachments to begin to see through uh, the clinging, the obsessiveness, the compulsiveness that we might have in our relationship to the self and our views and opinions and then we can begin to see, the, we more and more reflect on when something's present in absence, when anger's present when it's not present, when lust is present when it's not present, when delusions of various sorts, worry uh, is present when it's not present. We're observing the presence and absence of conditioned phenomena in in our own mind, in our jitta, and that, so that's what Bhutto, or this intuitive ability that uh, as this species of creature on this planet, humanity, human beings, we can actually use, you know, and this is what the, the, this is the teaching of the Buddha as we've, uh, you know, inherited it through a tradition If he hadn't established a tradition, it would have died out forgotten long ago, 2,555 years ago, nobody would remember the ascetic, the wise ascetic Gautama, who said he was the Buddha. Probably there's many, many Bajeka Buddhas or enlightened individuals who have realized Dhamma, but have not established any any conventional form to carry it through in time, and so that's one reason why the Theravada school is so successful as a tradition, because it has been able to carry this teaching uh, of the Buddha and to keep within the of the limitation structure of the Vinaya as a part of a tradition. And if we didn't have that, then it would have died out long ago. So that's the, the value of a tradition. That's why, uh, you know, there's a lot of pressure to change the tradition, modernize it, make it more with the times, more psychological, more <laughs> more appealing to, to stressed out people in New York City and so forth to, to make it you know, so that it, it can be a kind of psychotherapeutic approach. But with, uh, I, with my encounter with Lung Po Cha and, and training with him, it was through this kind of practice that I began to understand and, tra- and, and appreciate this tradition as a tradition. Again, on Americans, we don't have very many traditions. 4th of July, I think. (laughs) That's one. Uh, American independence from the oppressive British. Uh, (laughs) But that's not very old. Uh, Not even 300 years old. So uh, uh, this is 2,555 years. It survived through how many civilizations, kingdoms, uh, successes and failures and changing conditions on an on a, on a ongoing uh, upheaving level of of different you know of the whole history of humanity from that time to the present. So this is you know to to you know to, to try to what I'm trying to do is. Uh, you know encourage you to to use this form for this awakening Learn to recognize it's not about making yourself into anything or attaining people talk about attaining stream entry and and once returner non-returner arahant and 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 I just don't like to speak like that because those 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 are mere, ways of of suggestions to help us to observe. They're not for identity, not for me as a personality to become a stream emperor or an arahant or not to become one or whatever. It's not about language, about identity, but about mindfulness and wisdom. And so these, these teachings of the Buddha then are you know, here to, if you just grasp them, the words themselves, the concepts that you interpret through your cultural condition approach to life and self-views, uh, it's better probably to attach to it out of ignorance than not, than to attach to other things. I'm not denying that. But for, to get the full benefit and appreciation, of this, of these teachings, of the, the very skillful teachings the Buddha left us and, and how to use the Vinaya, then this takes the actual practice, willing to, to relinquish, to live within the boundaries of, of this Vinaya, uh, and to, to observe one's own reaction, one's own emotional reaction to restraint, to living within Community with the core what, uh, that, empo- that Nung po emphasized so much. Learning to live within structures and letting, uh, that we begin to see our own ego, our own views, our, uh, ways of seeing tradition or, or cultural conditioning. Uh, those of us who, who come from, uh, outside of Thailand, our, our own views about Thailand, about Thai Buddhism and, and on like that. We, through this kind of reflection, we begin to see those as views, not as truths or assumptions that we operate from. Because we're moving toward, not toward identity in, in even a religion, but to free ourselves from identity. So it's like a total relinquishment of conditioned phenomena, which is not Annihilation, but a relinquishment means letting letting things be what they are. We have to live within the structures of our own human form till it dies, and within the societies that we're part of. And we choose this particular limitation. We we ask three times to take the precepts to become a samanera, a, 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 a bhikkhu and then why do we do it, not for an identity but for, it's a convention to encourage us to awaken to the reality of Dhamma. So after this as a reflection uh, for this evening the, uh, just it's an encouragement, not to meant meant to be even a teaching, but encouragement to to learn how to Trust yourself more to open, to observe, rather than operate from all kinds of views and opinions and prejudices. So I offer this for reflection.